Well, good morning. So you ever had this uh, happen to you where you have been mistaken for somebody else? How many of you have had that happen? Yeah? I have that happen every once in a while. And um, honestly, it comes back to this one person. In fact, I was just in the airport, uh, I think it was Detroit or Dallas, one of those two airports. I was walking through, and this guy walks up to me and says, Has anybody told you, and even as he's saying this, like, I've heard this before, you know, you look like, anybody want to venture a guess what he said? Mickey Mouse, wow. Has anybody ever told you that you look like Chuck Liddell? (laughs) I get that, though. I know I've cut my hair shorter and shorter, but it's not quite that short yet. And I still have this part, right? But I get that, right? How many of you see that? Wow. Wow. There are a few of you that see that. So, you ever had that before? Like, uh, a case of mistaken identity. I just, uh, I, I want to now attribute the fact that they mistake me for Chuck Liddell with my CrossFit training now. So, no. I will never be in the, on the octagon for UFC. I will never be like that. But, um, you know, I was thinking, too, about the 90s. Like, uh, one of my favorite movies of the 90s was built around this whole idea of a misplaced or uh, a, a separate identity, right? Um, any of you remember the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? All right. Some of the millennials in the first crew, they were just staring at me blank. Like, and it, it hit me like, I don't even think they were born when they made that movie. And it makes me feel, feel old. But remember, the premise of the story is, is this, uh, this man played by Robin Williams is in the middle of a divorce painful divorce and part of the 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 way the divorce went down was he was not going to be able to spend very much time with his kids and it tore him up and he couldn't live with it and so he actually devises this scheme where he he uh (laughs) makes himself into a 65 year old nanny right remember that called mrs doubtfire and he gets hired as the kids his kids nanny all the while, they never know, right? And um, uh, just the, the circus that happens. But he is just motivated by this, this desire to be with his kids. I thought I'd play just a 30-second clip from this when it kind of all unravels for him. If you remember that scene in the restaurant where he is changing between the old woman in the bathroom and then he runs out as he is, as he's meeting with a, a business partner. He runs back in and changes and then all of a sudden... His, his ex-wife's uh, uh, boyfriend has, a, has an issue, and he runs to the rescue, and this happens. You all right, Dad? Good luck. Yeah, honey, it's me. (laughs) You know, today, as we come and celebrate um, the pinnacle of everything that we believe in, Paul said, if Christ is not risen, then everything that you are doing, it's absolutely in vain. You're wasting your time. Uh, Go do something better with your time. Believe in something else. Hope in something else if Christ is not risen. But what we celebrate today becomes the pinnacle, the central piece of our faith. And because this day, what we celebrate happens, then everything else is true. And everything else makes sense. And we can absolutely, full-heartedly trust in what this day is about and who Jesus is. But you know, I was thinking through... uh, what I wanted to communicate today, and I, I wanted to talk about someone who I believe has the biggest mistaken identity in all of Scripture. And he's at the heart of this resurrection narrative. In fact, his life 
And this scene from his life becomes the climax in which John, this huge piece of literature, this gospel that is so informative, so crucial to what we understand about Jesus, this is how he's going to basically finish the story of Jesus with this guy, this, this man, and he is so misunderstood. And I would say that he is a case of mistaken identity. And you know, at the heart of what I think his life is trying to communicate to us and what this resurrection day is, is really coming to in a, in a final way, in a pointed way, what do I need to know? What can I take away? Is central in this man's life. And I believe that this man's life answers a question that all of us always really have. And it is this question, does this really work does this really work is the reason you're here today and what we celebrate what we've sung about what we worship does it really work is there really something to it or is it just a prop is it just a crutch is it just something that, that people need to kind of believe in and hope in? It's, is it something that just kind of helps us answer the bigger questions? And it kind of gives us a sense of peace uh, that, okay, or um, does this really work? Does this really work? All of us are pragmatists. All of us are gravitating toward things in our lives that at the end of the day we are a part of them or we desire them or we move toward them because we're always answering, does this really work for me? Does this really work? And this man's life who is so mistaken uh, or misunderstood, I believe is given by uh, the, the writer John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to answer that one question for us today. When thinking about what this day means and the event and the miraculous nature and all the characters and the different scenes and the just, wow. At the heart of all that, at the end of John's gospel, he's going to answer this question that we all need to know. We all ask, does this really work? Is this real? And it's centered around this, this guy we, whose name was Thomas. Thomas, now we're introduced to him in scripture and we know a couple things about him, okay? He's not a central figure. He's not like Peter, James, or John. Uh, there, there's not a lot that we know about his life. We know a couple things. We know that he was a twin, okay? I don't know if he had a twin sister or a twin brother, but I know he was a twin. I know that in that culture, being a twin wasn't looked on as favorably as it is now. Uh, we kind of like that, right? Unless you're having kids and you're not wanting twins and you're, right? And I had those thoughts when after Colby and we got pregnant with Selah, I, you know, I did have these fleeting thoughts like, what if it's twins? Because I remember I was a youth pastor of a, of a family in, in Michigan who they had had three boys and they wanted a girl so bad. And they decided, you know what, we're going to have a fourth child and we're going to hope that it's a girl because we just want to have a girl and come delivery day, they, they had twin boys. And they had five boys. And I want to tell you that uh, Sue, the mom, always looked like she had been run over by a train when I saw her. And so, you know, most of the time we look forward to twins unless it's like four, five, or six in the line, right? Um, and, and, but Thomas, it was a weird thing because... You know, they didn't know what to do with their inheritance. They had all these formulas and all these nice little order of the structure. And so a twin kind of blew everything up. And so maybe Thomas was a little bit of a pessimist. We read, kind of get that feel. Because he kind of was always looked on like, yeah, you're a twin. Like you're a, you know, like you're a child with three eyes or three ears. You know, kind of like that type thing. But we do know this about Thomas. I think it's important for us to grab this. Because I think he's so misunderstood. The two other times that were introduced to him. One 
it's, it's in this period of time when Jesus is sharing some really heavy stuff for his disciples. And they have thought that Jesus was going to become this leader that was going to start a kingdom here and now. And they're ready. And this guy that can make bread out of nothing, this guy that can calm the seas, and this guy that can heal people, and this guy, he is going to overthrow the Roman government. He is the Messiah, and we're starting the kingdom now. And Jesus starts to tell them, guys, that's coming, but it's not in your lifetime. And the kingdom I'm a part of is far bigger implications than just the Jewish people. I'm bringing an everlasting, eternal kingdom for the whole world. And this is heavy for them. This is blowing up everything that they've understood and known. And, and they're listening to this. And, and they're having to try to take it in. And they're struggling with it. And we see that Thomas is the one who's willing to speak up of the twelve and say, Well, Jesus... How do we know where to go? How do we know what to do? And we quickly understand that Thomas, is a, he's a sincere guy. He's an honest guy. He's kind of a transparent guy. He's the one whenever, when they're looking at each other sideways and what are we going to do with this? And I don't understand. And I'm not speaking up because I'm going to look like a fool. And, but it's Thomas who's honest and sincere and says, Lord, well, just what do we do? What way do we take? What do we need to do? And it's obvious this guy is, he's honest. He's sincere. The other time we're introduced to Thomas is, is when Lazarus is sick and is going to die and Lazarus lived close to Jerusalem, and this was a time when Jesus was not a popular figure. And they were staying away from Jerusalem because they were afraid he was going to be arrested and killed, and the disciples with him, because the religious leadership in Israel was hot about Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, listen, Lazarus, I need to go see him. To which the disciples have this fear in their heart, like, oh no, this is it for us. We can't leave where we're at because we're going right into the lion's den, so to speak, where they hate us, where they're trying to move against us. And it's in this setting that Thomas speaks up and says, you know what, Lord? I'll go with you. And you know what, Lord? If we go there and you die, I'll die with you too. And we see this honest, sincere man who is also loyal and committed. He's, he's got some courage, does he not? I want you to understand something about Thomas that I think is so important for us to grab a hold of. Is I would actually describe him as Thomas is real. He's you and me. He's the common, everyday kind of guy you want for a friend. He's the guy who, when you're down, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to stop being your friend. He's the guy who sticks with you when it's tough. He's the guy that cares about you. He's loyal. I, he's real. He's solid. We get that from the story. This guy is solid. He's, he's you and me in so many ways. He's what we're looking for in a friend. It's who we want to be in a friend. And it's his story, his common everyday story, that becomes so misunderstood, and yet it's at the heart of what this day is about, what it means for you and me individually. Thomas is used. His life is a testimony. It's a declaration to the question, does this really work? Let's jump in and look for just a moment at why the scriptures show us why this works. Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is another word for twin, Thomas the twin. <laughs> Not Thomas the train, but Thomas the twin. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So I'm breaking into John when... Um, on that Easter morning, Jesus appears to the women at the tomb and, and they run and Peter and John and they recognize that he is risen. They don't know what that means. 
that's so strange to them. They're afraid that maybe they'll get in trouble. They'll be accused of stealing the body from the tomb. They're in fear of what the authorities are going to do to him because they're fired up that his body's gone and this is going to start some kind of revolution and they're going to have some kind of conspiracy. And so they're huddled in a room fearful. And Jesus appears to them on that Easter night, you remember, and tells, hey, it's me. I'm risen. And, and again, the whole implications of that. Guess who was not there that night? Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And so we read that the other's disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Now listen to this, this loyal, committed, sincere, honest, transparent person. Unless... I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where his nails, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas, and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. In this little snapshot, this climax to John's gospel, this encounter that happens in these few short verses, we are reminded of some essential things that we need to understand about what this whole resurrection thing is and does. I would remind you in this little short telling of the story um, that Thomas, who is, is, is me and you, he's real, it, it, just like we would have probably experienced, it's this idea that disappointment causes real doubt. Thomas... encountered a reality that he had never seen before. He watched as the one he had hoped in, followed, pretty much put the pause on his life for, he watched him be nailed to a cross. He watched him for six hours in agony on that cross. And he watched him take the body down, wrap him up, and seal him in a tomb. And for Thomas, sincere, honest, loyal, common, everyday, you and me kind of person, it was devastating. Everything he had hoped in had been taken away. The rug had been pulled out from under him. And in this story, it's so obvious. Thomas didn't even bother to spend some time with the disciples at first because it's obvious that he is has sank into a deep depression he's disillusioned he goes awol he's panicked his world is spinning he doesn't know which way is up because he has experienced this disappointment his disappointment runs so deep that even when his friends Tell him, Thomas, there's something different. He responds with, I don't believe it. And I would remind you that disappointment causes real doubt. And guess what? 
Let me read this definition of disappointment. Disappointment is a failure to meet an expectation either of your own or of someone else. How many of you have been disappointed? Every single one of us. This world is full of disappointment. This fallen, broken world thrives on disappointment. And disappointment begins to cause real doubt in the hearts and in our hearts and minds. Does it not? Disappointment is that that which leads to a frustration of living. It obviously that often causes us to live in such a frustrated state that it's easy to be angry. Why? Because we're just disappointed with the way things are turning out in our life, with the decisions that we have made, with the past that we've created or the present we live in or, or what our future holds because of our decision making. Or we're disappointed because somebody we've loved has let us down and has caused us to be in a situation that is, uh, that's not what we had hoped for. And we just live with disappointment. And because there's disappointment all around us, in our lives and around our lives, it causes us to begin to doubt things. It causes us to live with doubt that, that begins to rob any idea of vibrant faith in things. Disappointment is that thing that causes discontentment to the point that it's hard for us to be happy for too long with something. Disappointment is, is that thing that causes skepticism that colors our thinking and the ability to live hopeful. Disappointment is that thing that makes you live guarded, unwilling to, unwilling to trust, have common expectations. You know, you just kind of settle into the mundane. You don't really expect a lot. You're just trying to get by. You just want to have a little bit of happiness here. But really, when you look at life, you've, been a, you've experienced disappointment so much at times that you really don't have a lot of expectation. And life has taught you that as soon as you get your hopes up and things go well, the other shoe's going to fall. And life is not perfect and, and, and things don't turn out and health deteriorates and relationships fail and they crumble and, and uh, you don't get the job that you wanted and somebody else gets picked ahead of you and, and just disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. Or I reached that level and I thought if I got into that income bracket then I would be happy and life would be peaceful and you only find that when you get there it's just more responsibility and more work and more expectations. And now you're having to up that to, now if I can just get to this level. And then it's just disappointment. Our world thrives on disappointment. Because guess what? Our world has not been turning out like it was meant to turn out. It is disappointing. And Thomas is a picture of all of us that disappointment begins to cause real doubt. It cripples our lives. Gives us a jaded existence in some ways. And I'm, as I'm talking, I'm, I'm hoping that your mind is open to how, how far-reaching disappointment can be in your life. And how probably most of us have just gotten used to living with it sometimes. And how it actually has kind of colored the way we see our world. It's the, it kind of colors the lens through which we understand life. It's how we learn to cope. It's what we have start to expect because it's just disappointment. Thomas is dealing with that. Look around our world. People are dealing with disappointment and they turn to things to try to numb that. Maybe this next relationship will not be as disappointing. Maybe this substance will cause me to enjoy life a little bit better so I don't have to deal with the disappointment. Maybe it's, maybe it's if I pour myself into my job, my occupation, my work, then it will bring fulfillment and I won't be disappointed. I won't have to experience disappointment. For most of us, Disappointment has so easily crept in to cause a cynicism 
that runs deep. And it becomes like an old sweater. (laughs) It's easy to slip on, but it's hard to take off. And we live, if it's too good to be true, you know exactly what I'm going to say, don't you? Every one of us knows that line. It probably is. And so, doubt begins to creep its way through our paths, ways of our mind. It robs faith. It robs expectation. It robs hope. And it causes us to live with real doubt. And that's Thomas. But I want to turn something on its head for a moment that I think Thomas shows us and that you and I need to realize. Doubt can become a doorway to something that is far greater than what you've ever experienced. Faith and doubt are kind of married in a lot of ways. I know that sounds strange. Fear and faith are opposite. But in this life of faith, doubt so often plays a crucial role. Look through the scriptures. The men who had the most faith dealt with some of the biggest doubts. And doubt became a catalyst for them to move into a deeper understanding of life. And so this morning, if I'm talking to you, and honestly, you're skeptical of this whole thing. You kind of are like, I showed up today because I came with my family, or it's just kind of what we do, and I'm here, it's kind of, you know, I, I get the Christian thing, I believe that, that whole thing, and, and uh, but I'm here, but, but honestly, I, I really don't spend a lot of time uh, really entertaining the idea that there's too much to that. It really doesn't, because I'm just going to be honest, Chip, I've just seen too much of this world, and sometimes people say I've seen too much of Christians, and so I just have a little bit like, eh, I'm here, but because what you've seen has been disappointing. It's caused you to doubt. It's caused you to lose a sense of expectation, of hope, of a belief that life can really be different. Life can actually uh, um, have something to be to hold on to, that's sustainable, that's constant, that's real, that's true. And Thomas is there, disappointment. And he says, listen, guys, I'm not in. Unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it, right? This real person struggling with real doubts. And it's, it's, it's as if Thomas were saying, this means so much to me that I'm not going to start believing what you're telling me until I see it. I need to see it to believe it. And that's the second thing I want to remind you of. Real people want real results, right? Thomas is real. He's honest. He's the kind of person that you and I want to be, a friend, be a friends with. There's no, there's no shadow to him. And he's like, listen, guys, I can't go there anymore. I've been disappointed. I don't want to open my heart up again. I frankly watched him die. In fact, Thomas is the only one who references the nails in all of the gospel story. We don't know that there's nails. Now, we know that he was crucified and they used nails. But Thomas, it was so indelibly marked on his mind that he says, listen, I saw the nails go in his hands. You guys don't understand. I can't open myself up for that again. I need something that's real. And this didn't work for me. Real people want real results. I will not believe. This didn't work, so I'm out because it didn't work. Can you hear the skepticism in his voice? It's kind of like he's saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, we live in a world of guarantees, don't we? Uh, 
I just saw the other day, I was, I was watching TV, and man, they've got a mattress now out there that you can take home and, and sleep on for 90 days. And if you don't like it, you send it back. I gotta be honest, I'm not using that mattress store. Because I'm going to buy a mattress that four different people have spent 90 days on. Like That kind of, to me, didn't work, that advertising. But basically, we are in a results-oriented world, right? Does this work? We want results. I mean, even to the fact that you can sleep on it, it's unfathomable to me. 90 days! Like, shouldn't you know by a couple nights? Why 90? I don't know, man. Sounds like a fun thing to kind of do, just... Hit this store up and that store and that store. No. Guarantee. This phrase is something we all know. It's a money back guarantee. We're in a results world. Does it work? Does it work? Does it work? And Thomas is just like you and me. He wants to know. Does this really work? Real people want real results and he's saying guys i'm out it didn't work he died and so i can't go there anymore i'm not willing to let my life be turned upside down like that to which i think is the one of the pivotal scenes in all of the gospel to which we read jesus does what comes right to where Thomas is at. (laughs) A week later, they're together. Thomas is with them. Jesus comes through. Again, he doesn't even bother to use the door anymore. He just comes through. He says, peace be with you. And in that greeting, I think it's only for Thomas because he's already told the others, peace be with you. When he says, peace be with you, he's talking to all of them, but he's really talking to Thomas. He's saying, listen, bud, it's okay. I know what you're struggling with. I know where you're at. I see the disappointment. I see the delusionment. I see the depression. I see it all. And I don't hold it against you, Thomas. I'm here. In fact, he looks at Thomas, he says, Thomas. And you got to realize in that moment that Thomas realized Jesus knew everything he thought, right? Because Jesus wasn't there the week before, and we have no recording that Jesus spent any time with the disciples. It's obvious that the scriptures are telling us that Jesus knew and heard what Thomas had said to the others. And Thomas realizes that in that moment when Jesus looks at him and says, Thomas, here you go. Here you go. And in that moment, Thomas realized that he is having an encounter with the risen Lord. And an encounter with Jesus is the only thing that makes a difference in Thomas's life. And his is our story. To encounter someone is to come upon them face to face. Jesus comes face to face with exactly where Thomas was at. Skeptic, cynical, angry, frustrated, Not working for me, not going there, have to see it to believe it. And guess what Jesus does? He comes exactly to where Thomas was at and meets him exactly in what Thomas needed to know. Unless I see, unless I touch, okay, Thomas, here I am. Hey, In that moment, Thomas declares what has been echoed down through the centuries of time now. My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas should be known for. We call him Doubting Thomas. 
when really he's the one who made the first declaration. Jesus is Lord and God. You see, what it took was an encounter with the risen Lord. He is a prototype. He is an example for every one of us. Life that has been lived in disappointment for all of us. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, right? We all understand what it is to have fallen short, to be disappointed, to be a disappointment, right? We all know what that is. How do we cope with that? It's so often it brings out doubt and cynicism and and just an unwillingness to really trust to really believe in something, to really say, okay, I'm in, I can believe in this, this is constant, this is sure, and despite all of the disappointment around me, I can hope in this. That's exactly where Thomas was. And One encounter with the risen Lord makes all the difference. You see, so often people think of the Christian church and the teachings of Jesus, and he's universally respected everywhere, right? Everybody says Jesus' teachings are honorable. Muslims say Jesus' teachings are honorable. Jesus Jesus taught these great and wonderful things, and we should just learn how to follow the teachings of Jesus and make our life better. And Jesus is saying, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. You're not getting what at the heart of this whole thing is. It's not follow my teaching, but have a face-to-face encounter with me and come into relationship with me. What you really need is to know me. And that's what the heart of this whole day is about. He rose so that you and I could experience the resurrecting power in our lives, bringing us out of our sinfulness, bringing us from no hope to a life filled with hope, purpose, forgiveness, and meaning. I was reminded of the story of Bill Moore. Bill Moore was uh, uh, one of my favorite illustrations of this. Bill Moore grew up in poverty and early in his life. Um, he lived in Chicago, Chicagoland area, and early was attracted to a life of crime. Um, it got so bad that one night he killed somebody over $5,000, and he was caught. And because the crime was, was so, uh, so heinous, they uh, sentenced him to death row. And he is on death row at the most lost forsaken place you could seemingly could be right waiting to die knowing that it's coming um it was in those days on death row that a gentleman came in and and shared with him the gospel bill moore had no idea about the gospel never heard it didn't know what it was about listened to the man opened his heart encounters Jesus, changes his life, changes his whole understanding of life. Death row didn't change his circumstance, did it? Changed his heart. In fact, it changed his heart so much he couldn't stop talking about it. And he just kept talking about it to the other inmates and the other prisoners. And it changed his heart so much that it became obvious to everybody around him, hey, you want a little word of encouragement? You want a little help? Go talk to Bill, the guy on death row. And so people all over started to visit Bill. And he'd sit down with them. He'd pray with them. He'd share with them. He'd encourage them. He'd comfort them. The guy on death row is doing this. In fact, true story, he became such an encourager, such a source of help, that people that were not in prison would would send other people to the prison to have a meeting. Normally, you go in to visit somebody in prison. They would come to spend time with Bill Moore so he could encourage them. Guy on death row. It's amazing. He just kept spilling out. In fact, he gained such a reputation in that prison that the family of the man he killed was moved. He developed a relationship with them. He began to pour into their lives. In fact, he became such an influence in that prison that people began to write into the prison. Can you please take Bill off death row? We don't want him to die. He's such a help. Can you, take, please, can you please take him off death row? 
They got so many letters, and his life was so exemplary that they finally, they, not, they, they commuted his sentence. To this day, Bill Moore is not in prison anymore. He's actually a minister somewhere helping needy and poor people. Lee Strobel, the famous apologist, sat down with Bill Moore one time. They're both from the Chicago area. And he said, Bill, can you explain this? What, what happened with you? Did they put you on some new medication? Was it a new kind of counseling program? Was it a rehab thing? And Bill just looked at Lee and said, listen, Lee, it was one thing. I encountered Jesus Christ. And it made all the difference. This morning, I realize you're not on death row. And I anticipate none of us going there. But the truth is the same for us as it was Bill Moore. Life boils down to, does this really work? And Thomas's life and story scream to us that does it really work? It's the only thing that works in this world. It's the only sure thing that you can trust in. And what you're hoping for, how you're going to navigate a life of disappointment and fallenness and how do I make better decisions and how do I work through this and how do I deal with that and this setback and this. What, what am I going to live with just a cynical, skeptical, not willing to ever believe in anything? Thomas's life reminds us that this is work. It's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that you and I could ever trust in. And he came for one reason. That is to provide opportunity for you and I to live again. To live. To experience a life that works. You know, Thomas, the story is told of Thomas that he left that day with Jesus. And he went, and he traveled as a missionary in the Roman Empire. He ended up in India. In fact, he had such a, an influence in India that even present day, right now, if you meet somebody named Thoma, it's a sign of respect for the Apostle Thomas. But you know what? He went in that place that was heathen, and he was a missionary, and they didn't care for it. And finally... They persecuted him, and they actually killed him. Do you know how they killed him? They ran a spear through his side. <laughs> Jesus, I will not believe unless I place my finger in your side. The change that happened in his life was so transformative that there came a day that he would willingly said, I will take a spear in my side for my faith. Wow. Does this really work? And what's been on my heart all week for a few weeks is I know I'm talking to people that honestly in the deep down in your heart, this is what goes on. Not so sure. I've seen too much. I don't know, I don't, I've believed in a lot of things. I've hoped in a lot of things. And I'm not sure if that's just one or more of those things. I'm telling you today, right now, in this setting, I'm reminding you once again that what this day is all about is something that works better than anything you've ever experienced in your life. And he simply invites you, open your heart. Give him a chance. You might not understand what it was about, all about, but will you start to believe today that Jesus is the answer for your life? The real change that you need, it only comes in him. And you're not going to understand all that that is, but today it's a beginning for you. You just need to open your heart right now and say, Lord, I'm so disappointed in myself, my life. I don't see what this is about, and I don't. But I'm going to believe that you are the one that makes all of this make sense. 
You're my hope. And he's inviting you today. This opportunity, this was not an accident you're here today. The risen Lord who appears to Thomas is always appearing to us, inviting us to trust him. Would you stand? We're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you to open your heart to him. Maybe for some of you, you just know you're at that point. You need to make such a bold statement, a bold move, that you're starting today that you need to get out of your seat and you need to walk down an aisle and you need to kneel right here at this altar. You need to make a declaration of faith. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm doing it. I'm in. I need that which works. Maybe for some of you, that's, that's a hard thing. I get that. But you just need to open your heart right where you're at. And you need to invite him in. You need to have a beginning. You need to start finding the one thing that actually will work in your life. The risen Lord. And you need to pray. Lord, I invite you in. I turn to you. I'm going to trust you. And if you'll do that where you're standing, the only thing I ask you to do is as you've done that, would you tell somebody you did that? Scriptures are so important. They tell us that we must confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. And I'm not asking you to come up here and take a mic and tell everybody. I'm just asking you to look at somebody and say, by faith, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. Right now is your time. Would you sing together? Would you open your heart to him?
has sealed the promise your very body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me in the Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. Does this really work? It's the only thing that works. And you came to change our lives, to make us new. And by your resurrecting power, we can experience the new life that you've always promised. Lord, we're thankful that your spirit is faithful. And we know that you've spoken into hearts today. And people have begun their first step towards you. Continue, Father, to move them in a direction of trusting you and all of us living every moment, resting in the power of our risen Lord, who gives us grace and love and mercy. And so we praise you, King of kings and Lord of lords, the risen Lord, who is our Savior and our victory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.